0: Welcome to Living With Purpose, the interview series where Francis Lynch speaks to various people about what purpose means to them, and explores what gives them the energy to do what they do. Most people have got a story to tell, and these interviews show that extraordinary stories come from ordinary and not-so-ordinary people. So listen on as we explore purpose and meaning, and hopefully learn a little about some great people. My guest in this interview is Anne Courtney, who is a coach, retreat facilitator and leadership consultant. In her past, Anne has worked as a social worker and also led a small not-for-profit organisation and in recent years has been running her own business, supporting people to deal more effectively with relationships in their families, workplaces and communities. In this interview, I'm struck by the changes that Anne has noticed in her life how she has become more reflective herself over the years and has settled into a path of helping others to see the value of reflection and how it can facilitate more purposeful action. Anne's also involved in training people to become ontological coaches, which is a process where she enables people to reflect and learn about themselves and how they can support others to do the same. In this interview, you'll hear Anne's reflections on who she is and how she has created opportunities to live out her purpose. Welcome, Anne. Thanks for uh, agreeing to be interviewed as part of the Living With Purpose interviews. Um, I've done a, an introduction just before this and, and given a sort of formal introduction for you. But how would you describe yourself to to me or to the listeners?
1: Wow, how would I describe myself? Um, well, I'm a woman in my early 50s and don't have children, working and primarily these days uh, looking after my dad who has Alzheimer's disease and various other health complaints. So like a lot of people my age, I suppose looking after my parents is a major priority and yeah. a major learning journey actually Uh, I was just saying to my husband as we were walking back from lunch given this is uh, close to the end of the year thinking about the year ahead and thinking I love planning I'm a planner I'm a J on the Myers-Briggs and because I'm largely caring for my father at the moment um, I'm having to live with uncertainty and just say I really can't plan the year ahead. All I can do is go with the flow, and when things change, as I expect they will, um, I'll have to just change with it. So, yeah, in terms of work, you want to know about work? Yeah, what do you do? What do I do? Um, Well... My parents have never understood what I do because I never seemed to have a job where I could say I'm a teacher or I'm a this or a that. The closest I ever got was when I could tell them I was a social worker and that was actually a profession that you know. But when I think about what I do, what I do more than anything else is for work is to really create reflective spaces for individuals and groups and how do I do that? Well, uh, I, I, I'm a coach, so I see people one on one, give them time out of their busy lives, their work lives, their personal lives, to just come, sit, slow down, yeah. reflect, um, and connect with you know what's on their mind, what's on their hearts. Um, what do they want to be going better in life? You know, what do they want to explore? And then I probably do similar things then for groups of people, either in organisations, teams, or running retreats for uh, people, either workplaces or we run public retreats where people come and take a weekend out or a day out. And, again, it's that just that time to slow down and connect with what's going on for you. Uh, and then I also train people to be ontological coaches. And I know ontology is one of those words that my parents <laughs> wish I had an ordinary job. <laughs> um, but this particular field of study that I'm involved in, it's called ontology of the human observer. And it's really about taking the lid off of the um, can or the the bonnet off the the car and saying well you know how do we work as human beings what drives us so how does our thinking our emotions our bodies drive us and shape how we see the world and what we see as possible or not possible so yeah and i do based on what i've just said also do some work in the leadership development space with some of those principles so it's a very eclectic mix, Francis.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds that. And, and I know um, that you do that in partnership with a lot of people as well, don't you? Mm, yeah.
1: yeah. One of the things I love about my work is that I work for myself and I have all the, the freedom of that. And I know I began working for myself about 12 years ago and I remember one of my colleagues and I began at the same time and she was an extrovert and absolutely hated it because it was way too much time yeah. um, on your own. And I absolutely loved it. <laughs> so um, I really connected with the energy I get from having a certain amount of solitude. But one of my joys in life is, even though I work for myself, is working in partnership with a whole range of people, um, you know, the support of other coaches just in because coaching is very solitary sort of occupation. I have one particular coach that we have a peer coaching relationship with, Tony Clitheroe, and, you know, we support each other through life and work. And then I run retreats with a range of people, women's retreats with Nikki Howe and Catherine Chules, and... um. Courage and Renewal Retreats, another sort of retreat I run with Michael Prince and Sharon Cook. Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to have the best of both worlds, I reckon.
0: Yeah. And is it something that, um, uh, like, you've you've come to this place of having this mixture of things? Um, does it feel like it's... Uh, been by purpose like like it's it's come about through design or has it come about just through taking the opportunities as they've come
1: Hmm. I remember when I was young feeling very envious of people who knew what they wanted to do when they grew up yeah and I was never one of them and I had a vague idea well no I didn't even really have a vague idea (laughs) what I wanted to do but um if I reflect back on my youth, the things I knew for certain that I was interested in, passionate about, were probably two things and two kind of different things. So one would be spirituality, um, being reflective uh, about life being more than just about you and material things, um, but also that there's more inside you than the the superficial stuff as well. So the spiritual stuff was important to me and I was brought up a Catholic. So my early um, formation, I suppose, was within that tradition. And as I've gotten older, that's broadened quite a lot. And then the other passion I've always had is, I guess, just a, a passion for injustice and making things better for people, being aware that, you know, it's really just a fluke of history that I'm here um, and that I live in a wealthy country and came from a relatively wealthy, well, compared to the world, yeah. um, family. So, yeah, that's, those two were always my passion. Not that I knew at the time. It was just I, I did a dance between these two things. And if I look at my early jobs, you know, I, as you will know, because you and I share this together, but worked for a youth organization that had a Christian basis to it, but also very social justice focused and about action and reflection, and then took a social work route, just like you, Francis. Absolutely.
0: Well, we, I mean, we... The listeners may not know, but um, we've known each other for about 30 years. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. we're both wearing glasses now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and look, so that just took me on that route of um, being involved in social work, working for different organisations, being an activist, I suppose, when I was younger, involved with a Philippine Action Support Group and the Cambodian Support Group and... Um, always involved in something to do with Aboriginal people, Yeah. Uh, various groups. Um.
0: I remember that just there was a, a point where you lived in a, in a house with a group yeah. of other people as well. Where Yeah. What, what
1: was that about? I can't remember. Yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, it was a bloodbath because <laughs> 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 it was a community of young people. Well, it was wonderful, really. It was a group of, a small group of us who, I mean, I was in my early 20s extraordinary but we decided that we wanted to take in homeless young people that's right and so and I don't know why we got so elaborate I think because we started renting and that was so insecure and we needed big houses because there was already like four of us and then we would have like one or two young homeless young people live with us and uh, so we formed a company there were some people who were a bit older and wiser than us that helped us do this we formed a company and bought a house, loaned the money from the Catholic Church and bought a house and, uh, and yeah, ran this house for a couple of years mm-hmm. and had different young people coming to live with us for different amounts of time. One girl lived with us for a, quite a long time actually um, and uh, yeah, she was a lovely girl. She was really finishing high school and... And, you know, pretty not that complicated but other people who had, you know, significant like trauma I suppose that played out and how they behaved. And, yeah, I remember an attempted suicide and all sorts of things, theft and all that sort of stuff, but also lots of wild, funny times. And, yeah. So, look, I loved that about being young, you know, the idealism that we can do this and... But when I say it's a bloodbath, I too, because, you know, we're at that age and we're all falling in love with each other and no one loves the right person and, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't have all those skills for navigating all that stuff. So it was a bit of a bloodbath as well. But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it.
0: <laughs> so who, who do you think are the people who've influenced you over over your journey, over mm, your
1: time? Such a lot of people. And I think one of the themes that's come up for me Thinking about this interview has been, you know, how you start somewhere in life and then as you go on, it it can get just broader and broader. So for me, you know, my early influences um, were very much from a Catholic or Christian tradition, um, particularly people involved in kind of radical care for the poor or social justice. I remember I went to see Dom Helder Kamara eight times when he came to Australia and he actually touched me on the shoulder. So he was a bishop that was working amongst the poor in Brazil, I think it was. Um, And people like Dorothy Day.
0: Mm. From the worker movement.
1: From the Catholic worker movement in the US who set up houses for hospitality, which is actually what our house that we had when we were young was supposed to be based on. I'm sure she had a... Much of a bloodbath as we did as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Apparently, she was a fierce woman. Um, so so people like that. But then you know there was local people who really emulated that as well. Um, I'm not sure if it. I should mention all their names, but I don't know. It's yeah. But you know be. there was you know I mean people you and I both know like you know, Neville Watson, Peter Stewart, Cheryl Carmody. Sister Bernadine and Bernadette Kennedy, you know, all doing quite radical things with, you know, going out on a limb, being with people who are really marginalised. And, you know, I felt so lucky that I knew these people. As a young person, you know, they gave you such, well, a sense of possibility of there being other ways of living, you know, and, um, yeah, that there isn't just the one the one way to live where you get a professional job and earn a lot of money and get your house and, you know, go on holidays really. <laughs> so, yeah. So, look, it's I'd started there and then as I've gotten older, it's, it's become more broader than that. I remember my next step out of that sort of influence was someone like Joseph Campbell who's an American comparative mythologist. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, I started sort of going beyond the bounds of just, Christianity as a philosophy yeah. or basis for my life, and so you know he compared you know what what was the essence of a lot of different religions, and um, one of his famous sayings is "Follow your bliss." So that sense oh okay, of, I've heard, the yeah, saying, heard that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not yeah, Not him. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so I was <laughs> when I was young, I was trying to read all these things which were way beyond my understanding, and then. Um, Probably after that, um, people like Father Richard Rohr, who again is a Catholic priest, but one of the things I really liked about him was how he was able to give the this, this message of Christianity without all the baggage, without all the institutional baggage. And then moving on to people like Parker Palmer, who's been quite a big influence on my life in the last few years, um, who's a Quaker, American Quaker, And he um, has written quite a lot, but really really about the soul in a way which isn't limited to any religion. It's not trapped in any baggage and it's very accessible to people and the retreats I run are based on that, one one sort of retreat I run. Uh, And then, look, right now I'm listening to a lot of Buddhists actually. So... um, I'm listening a lot to Pema Chodron as I drive up and down the freeway to yeah, Dad's and yeah. try to avoid and ignore people who are driving like crazy people. Pema
0: Chodron? I've never, I haven't heard of
1: her. Yeah. Is it him or her? Or? It's a her. She's an American um, Buddhist nun. Oh, okay. She's had a family and everything. I don't actually know a lot about her story because I've only just begun listening to her. But, you know, what's coming up for me, what's influencing me about people like her, Eckhart Tolle, is another one, is just that whole notion of of accepting life as it is and being able to live with discomfort and pain, which is not my natural bent. Um, Yeah, so look, I suppose you find the people that somehow speak to where you're at, and I've always been a searcher, so... Yeah. I keep buying CDs and books and they keep speaking to me. And, you know, not necessarily all religious either. Um, you know, lots of people are recently are speaking to me. Harrison Owen, who's written a lot about open space philosophy and that whole notion of really accepting the way things are and things aren't going to happen unless someone has the passion and wants to take responsibility to do something about it. Very much, you know like a lot of freeing up of very rigid, strict ways we have of doing things.
0: And not assuming that. I mean, one of the things with Harrison Owen, I think, is is not assuming that the old ways are the only ones. Yeah. And that there are other yeah. ways of organising and, and relating.
1: Mm, mm. And trusting people, you know, and trusting life, really. Mm. Like, you know, don't force things. See where the energy is and go with it. Yeah. So, yeah, look... I think I should stop answering that question now because I could go on forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you do you have a sense for yourself now of of what your your purpose is?
1: Because I knew you were gonna ask me that yeah. question, I have thought about that. Yeah. There is something that Parker Palmer writes, and this is probably not an exact replica of his quote, but it's something like before you tell your life what you want to do with it, listen to your life telling you who you are. And for me, if I think about that journey I just described to you, it was really an unfolding bit by bit of who I really was.
0: Yeah.
1: And what I've learned, and again Parker talks about this, is that when I was younger I was very inspired by ideals. You know, I love the ideals of people being courageous and standing up for people who don't have a voice, who are marginalised, um, and doing all sorts of, you know, incredible things. And, and, you know, I try to emulate that in some small way. But the older and older I get and the more I actually get to know myself, you know, after 20 years as an adult thinking I was a raging extrovert only to discover that the entire childhood I spent as introverted was actually who I really am. Yep. Um, you know, a friend made a comment to me once which sort of <laughs> took me on this journey of rediscovering who I really am. And so, you know, while all those things, being an activist, being a social worker, are all noble things, they actually really drained the hell out of me and they – Didn't work for me like I did my best trying to do those things well and you know I think I did do them well to a certain extent but I don't think they were really who I am and what I have to offer so my sense of unfolding purpose is keeping in touch with who I am so relearning that I'm an introvert has had a huge influence on what I do now and that's why you know for me I spend most of my times in quiet reflective spaces with people and the people I choose to work with you know are not the big corporates who are going to pay me a fortune but are people who are on the coalface and living that ideal who are social workers or activists or you know people in some sort of service role you know they're trying to do something good in the world and supporting them by creating those spaces for them and that's Probably the best thing I can do is be who I really am, and um, and offer what I can offer into so,
0: that. Yeah. So it sounds like it, it, it's your your space within that purpose or activism, uh, or yeah. is, is really to support those who are who are doing yeah. a lot of the work. And um, I think it, 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 the way you're describing it too is is really pointing out that that sort of misunderstanding. I think of introverts introversy, uh, being an introvert, which mm. is, is not about whether or not you can have a good conversation mm. with someone or whether you're mm. happy to talk with people, but more about that where do I get my energy from? Yes. How do I ref- replenish myself?
1: Absolutely, um, and, yeah.
0: And do I need time and, and yeah. solitude to do that, which yeah. is what introverts we
1: exactly. need? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> or, or do I get it by, you know, going out and engaging with people? and Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And so for me, when I didn't know that and I was younger, and I was doing, you know, working with families as a foster carer, um, a social worker or whatever, you know, I I didn't know how draining that was on me, and it really did, it really just kept wearing me down Yeah. until really I changed directions around the, the age of 40. Um, and, you know, I actually wasn't terribly conscious of changing direction it, you know, sometimes you just act into things before your brain kicks in about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah.
0: One of the things I suppose that you are also describing in, in the last 20 minutes is is possibly some change around how you've seen purpose over those years. So if you were to go back and mm. sort of say, you know, what mm. what do you – how do you really want to express your life? Mm. Um you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Do you think that's been consistent or has it changed?
1: I think it's been a massive change in the last few years, actually. I think probably the last 12 years I've changed direction, but I haven't really known why I've changed direction. I just intuitively changed direction from more of the outer work stuff, being out there in the world, you know, fixing people's problems and all that sort of stuff, um, to actually being more reflective Um, but it's probably been really only the last few years when I've connected with the work of Parker Palmer where I've really understood what was happening which is I'm reconnecting with who I really am so he has this term of connecting soul with role okay and there's I think there's a quote um, by Rumi something like that if you are not here faithfully with us, then you're doing terrible harm. And I think it's that notion of, you, you know, the best thing you can give is who you really are, no matter what lofty ideals there are in the world. But to do your bit of it, the best thing you can offer is your real gift.
0: And as opposed to that, um, that notion uh, of doing real harm as well hmm. is, is what I took when you said that was hmm. is... I can do harm to myself. Yeah,
1: yeah. Definitely. If I'm not
0: really doing what I'm, I'm going to be. Yeah. Best place yeah. to do.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like you're really trying to be something that you're not.
1: Yeah, exactly. It takes it. It harms us and potentially harms others. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lifetime's learning in that for me, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still learning. Huh. So do you? Um...
0: So it sounds like, you know, some of those opportunities or experiences of, of working with the Palmer – Parker – it's Parker J. Palmer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So his materials and – it is a him, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's making sense perhaps of some of where you're at now. Mm. Do you think that um, – if, if you were to look forward, I don't know if you do, but mm. do you have a sense of what what the next 10 or 20 years are going to be for you and, and how, mm. you know, are you just going to continue what you're doing or can you see mm. change coming?
1: Uh, I'm sure there will be new opportunities yeah. and new expressions, but I think, I think it will be what unfolds in me mm. in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Because I think my understanding is now is what unfolds in me will affect the way in which I see what opportunities and possibilities exist. Yeah. So that's the connection I make. So I I haven't got a grand plan that in 10 years I want to be here or doing this or doing that. I'm really content doing what I'm doing uh, now and content to see what unfolds really. So that's as... Good but as my future planning gets, which is it, shocking for a J <laughs> on the Myers Briggs.
0: <laughs> but it sounds as though there is a, a consistency or, a, uh, or a, a commitment to be true to yourself. So, mm-hmm. so to, to notice what's going on and to mm-hmm. to go where you feel drawn or, or mm-hmm. what feels right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, to stay connected is part of what you're really yeah.
1: wanting to be. Yes, absolutely. I think I have a clearer sense of how what I do uh, is influenced by how much I keep in, con- in contact with myself. You know, there's this lovely, simple little ritual that Joe, my husband, and I often do. Um, we don't seem to spend much time at the moment. Living between households, looking after my dad and everything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's by the the Limbs L I M S. They've got this little book called Sleeping with Bread. And every night or any time, you can do this with your children as well. But it's a, a daily reflection of you know what gave me energy today mm. and what drained my energy. Yeah. If you, if you link it with a religious thing, it's like I think at the points of consolation and desolation, I think, which is an Ignatian thing. And um, it's really about connecting with, you know, what gave you energy and what drained your energy. And if I think back now to years and years and years before that when I was connecting with Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss, it's all the same thing, isn't yeah. it? Being connected, go where the energy is. Go where the life is for you.
0: Are you ever surprised where the energy comes from?
1: Um, not really.
0: So you sort of know how you know what what is energy giving for you now. You've sort of understood what that is.
1: Yeah, because I think I do reflect a lot on what gives me energy and what drains my energy.
0: So what? Tell me a little bit about that. What what's what helps you keep being ready and energy, like having the energy to to do the work that you do?
1: Yeah. Well, number one would be solitude because I'm an introvert. And without that, uh, I can get lost and I can start doing things that are very disconnected. Mm. So I need to have a certain amount of solitude. And to be honest, my current lifestyle with my dad, who spends most of his time asleep, it's given me a lot of solitude, so I'm doing very well there. And mixing that with nature for me is really um, good for the soul. Um, at the moment, if I can go to the beach in the morning while Dad's asleep with my two cute little dogs and we can just walk on the beach and right in the early morning, that's just beautiful. So nature for me gives me energy. And then the colleagues that I was talking about earlier, like having people to create things with. I think creativity for me is very energising. So um, Michael, Sharon and I and Nikki and and Catherine, when we're organising our retreats, you know, there's such a lot of creative energy that goes into what are we going to do and how are we going to do it and what are we going to bring to it, you know, poetry and activities and music and all sorts of things yeah. and design of it. You know, I love that. That really energises me, just creating something. And I was thinking recently too that you know you're in the right place when the work itself gives you energy. So I find I get a huge amount of energy from being with people. You know, on a one-on-one level with, when I coach individuals, Um, I get a huge amount of energy from knowing I've created a space for someone where they can let their defences down. And, you know, sometimes even with a new client, one or two, first session sometimes or second session, you know, people often just drop down into a different space and they're really uncovering their soul and letting you in, which is a massive privilege and sometimes a lot of emotion comes with that, a lot of tears. Yeah. But for me it's the, the trust in you to let you in and the energy I get from knowing that if they just had the space and they get the space to connect with themselves and their own inner wisdom, they do actually know the answers themselves so that gives me enormous energy and that happens at a group level when i run retreats. yeah
0: and and i'm glad that you said that about the coaching sessions and and Mm. the the way that you create the space because Mm. i was actually thinking Mm. that just before you said it because it is a creation it's Mm. not like there is a you know um there is a creativity Mm. that you express by Mm. being able to allow for that to to be forth or however it happens yeah yeah
1: you know and my belief about that francis because you know there's so many types of coaching and types of coaches and i'm sure they all have a um, a part to play but i think what i'm trying to bring to it is being real that none of us has it all together i don't have it all together by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) and i wear that out loud and proud well maybe not so proud Um, you know that we're all in this we all have our version of struggling with life and we all have our giftedness Mm -hmm. and for me creating a space where someone can really get in touch with both of those things you know where am i really limiting myself you know what are the old stories i'm in that really, maybe I'm not even aware I'm in them. You know, I've certainly been in stories for a long time without knowing I was even had a story. Um, you know, what are the spaces I'm in that I'm trapped in without even knowing it? And you know, what are the things, me, my passions and interests that you know really do give me life, and I really want to do something about them. So creating that space is fantastic. I love that. People yeah. pay me to do that. I love that. <laughs>
0: But I th- but for you, I think that what I'm hearing is is that it's really important for you that um, that it is at the service of the person you're with, and yeah. that they're able to to actually understand and and connect with what's going to help them move
1: forward. Yeah, and as a coach, I love to be in that at the service of them, but being a real human being. Yeah. Not being some hollow sort of image of success or perfection or but actually i'm just a fellow traveler who at this moment is offering you my time and presence and um you know in support of your journey but i'm on that journey as much as anyone else Mm. i've got my own coach thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) in fact i've got several (laughs) so what
0: i mean sometimes um you know whether it's in coaching or whether it's just in in relationship with people you know there are the the times where discussion is about i don't know what i'm doing you know somebody might be having a a conversation Mm. with you and and saying you know really wondering why they're doing what they're doing or what Mm. their purpose is or you know how am i going to to make sense of all of this Mm. how do you how do you work with that how do Mm. you sort of how do you respond, I suppose, mm. is, is when people are really mm. questioning their path and where they're going.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the number one thing I'd say, and, you know, because I train coaches as well, you know, when you get this, I'm, I have, what's my direction? I'm not sure if I'm in the right job or whatever. That can be extremely scary because that's a <laughs> big question. No, that's, not <laughs> <laughs> that's not a little question. That's, so... Um, In the courage work, courage and renewal work, we have this lovely saying which is called at a slant. So instead of hitting things directly, you come at it from different sides. Yeah. And part of the philosophy behind that is the soul is shy and isn't going to just – doesn't respond to being hit over the head. Yeah. You know, it hides away. So for me it's about um, gently – helping people connect to what gives them energy, what drains their energy, what in their life or work, you know, does either of those things. Um, and, you know, what and listening really for what, where are the sparks of enthusiasm, of passion, of interest um, and, you know, what what actually closes them down. So, you know, it's just about I think it's just starting with getting them to connect to themselves. And then often, you know, that opens up, well, you know, I've always really wanted to do this or I really love that about my job but I don't love that about my job or, you know, or people's wisdom kicks in and they'll say, look, I've been in this job this long. I've got a feeling it's time to move on somewhere else. So I never have to have the answers. One of the things when you're a coach, because we don't give the solutions, um, if you get a a question like that, you can go into a panic because you don't know what the solution (laughs) is. You know, you can't possibly. No No way. Um, So it's really trusting that person that they will actually ultimately know uh, not necessarily what the big plan is but what the next step is. So I think the, the big thing is don't get too big.
0: And it sounds from even just hearing your reflection on your journey mm. is that, you know, you were talking about there being a shift 12 years ago, mm. is that that wasn't as a result of, you know, there being a plan for the next five no. years or 10 years. No. It, it was, you know, an emergency. It, mm. it was a shift that happened. And mm. in reflection you can see that, but mm. it didn't necessarily... Mm if you'd seen the consequences of your actions you may have
1: Hmm.
0: i don't know i mean would it have would you have perceived you know 12 years ago that you would be here where you are now
1: no not at all and i think you're right it is about emergence which is a slow process and the key thing for me around emergence is noticing yeah so you know in ontological coaching the key thing you're saying is that what we're trying to help ourselves and others do is become more powerful observers of ourselves yeah. and so when i think back to my shift around that time 12 years ago it started with um reading a book by a coach actually um cheryl richardson take time for your life you know i've read it i've been in my job managing a, a not-for-profit organization for seven years and it was all about, you know, reconnecting to yourself. So, you know, I was probably in a position where intuitively I'm I'm starting to think this is winding down for me and I have no idea what's coming next. Um, so just reading that book got me thinking about, oh, I didn't even know there was this thing called coaching. What a mm-hmm. great thing because... Yeah. I've always been really attracted to kind of spirit, the idea of spiritual direction without religion, <laughs> which is what, sometimes what I think coaching is. I've never, so, heard, I've never
0: heard it really?
1: said that way. Well, I was so excited when and I uh, discovered coaching because I thought, at last, spiritual direction without religion, how perfect. Um, and so that led me, so that was just a little emergence, and I noticed my connection with it. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I'm hearing that someone I know is starting a coaching program. And so I'm booking into that program, and after the first workshop, I'm in love. I love it. You know, it's speaking to my soul. It's me. I love it. The same time, I'm doing a a um, starting a masters of leadership and management, which you know I actually found quite helpful, but it didn't sing to my soul like the other thing did. Yeah. And so from that, I got into coaching, and then from that. I got into ontological coaching and then from that I started being interested in retreats and you know, it just the ball just keeps rolling and you just gotta keep noticing what's next and what comes up for you and who the people you said, you know, I work with other people. Yeah, absolutely, and part of it is saying, you know, what is it we've both got in common that we're really passionate about? What we could we do together? Mm. So with my mate Nikki Howe, who you've also interviewed, you know, we both our ontological coaches, um, and wanted to bring that to women in, you know, kind of a group setting, and we just started doing women's retreats. Well, really, Nikki got started five years before I would have started.
0: <laughs> and, and I think, I mean, it's interesting for me, knowing Nikki and knowing you, mm. is you're quite different people.
1: Absolutely opposites. <laughs> But well, we still love each other.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, obviously you work well together. Yeah. Right? And,
1: yeah. 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 But it's finding that common passion what you what you can bring to it, and then working with the diversity, mm. which, like anything, isn't it? It's not always easy. Yeah. But there's got to be enough to keep you there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the question I asked about, you know, what would you say? I mean, really, it is about know yourself. It yeah. It is, you know, come to to understand.
1: What is it you have to offer? What, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, we can judge people for, you know, oh, I remember when I was in, I was the coordinator of the One World Centre, which is uh, involved in global education, looking at aid and development. Um, I noticed, you know, can be a lot of judgment about the right way to do things and this is the best approach or you want to help these people and not those people or, you know, you want to help people and not animals. But, you know, for me it's like, if everyone followed what they're passionate about, well, the whole world would be a lot better placed because someone would be looking after the polar bears yep. and someone else would be looking after, you know, something else, you know. I don't know. Geoffrey Sachs wrote, what was his book, The End of Poverty. You know, thank God someone followed their passion. But, you know, I'm glad the polar bears are getting looked after too by whoever's passionate about them.
0: Yeah, so there's space for everyone and their passion. I I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: do you have any – you've mentioned a few things along the way in terms of books and and people who've influenced you. Um, Are there any other sort of suggestions that you would have in in terms of things that might be of interest to to other people? Mm.
1: Resources. Um, Well – I've mentioned Parker a lot. The the two books, I think of the books I give away a lot for people to read.
0: Yeah.
1: No, number one book I give away for people to read is Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, which is really about the notion of joining soul and role. So it's about his very candid um, sharing of his own journey um, with depression and with coming to understand his gifts and... Um, you know how how he could both best be expressed in the world in a way that's really accessible to other people. The other book of his, which I really love, is A Hidden Wholeness, which is much more about how we can be with each other in a way that is allows each person's soul, inner wisdom, to guide them without needing to be judged or, you know, debated by everyone else. So he, they're his. Two favourite books of mine. A book I give away a lot to my clients is, because this is another one of my passions, um, is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. okay. So, you know, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there about some very basic ways that we can communicate with each other um, in ways that don't violate each other, you know. That's what I love about the courage retreats. There's spaces that allow people who can be really religious, complete atheists, to be sitting in the same room together respectfully, which I think personally is the root of all peace and nonviolence. Uh, so that's that. Um, I haven't mentioned Alan Siler, who in Australia really is um, the person who's brought together all the material around Ontology of the Human Observer, I would recommend a good place to start is with his um, website where there's a lot of free articles you can download. So that's um, www.newfieldinstitute.com.au. And similarly, the Courage and Renewal website, uh, which is based in the US, has some nice resources on it. Okay. And then, look, other people I've been enjoying... um, People like Brené Brown, who's written a lot about. um, She's got very amusing, uh, what do you call them, like TED Talks. Oh, TED Talks. On her as a shame and vulnerability researcher and as someone who hates being vulnerable, very funny but very, very good. And she's written quite a few things now too, The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, yeah. Some lovely things. I
0: keep hearing her name. I, I yeah. listen to podcasts a lot, and I think in the last fortnight, I, I've heard about yeah, yeah. half a dozen people talk about yeah. Brown. Well,
1: it's really worth watching her yeah. TED talks because they're quite funny, but also very poignant. And you know that whole thing of vulnerability is no one really likes doing it, but <laughs> can be useful for real relationships. Yeah. yeah. And who else would I recommend? Well, of course, my favourite at the moment is Pema Chodron, and I've been, I haven't been—I have read anything of hers. I'm sure she has stuff.
0: You've been listening to CDs? I've been listening CDs, to C- oh.
1: CDs, yeah. yeah. There's a website called Sounds True, which has a lot of these sorts of people on it.
0: Okay.
1: So yeah. I could go on, but I'll stop. So you've mentioned
0: that you do retreats. So where do people find the information about those?
1: Um, well, you can go to the courage and renewal website for the courage and renewal um, retreats which is it doesn't w- it, don't don't
0: want to do it well no 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 don't no, do yeah. it but um, what i was going to say is is i'll put lights uh, oh, up on the web page for the so yeah if, if you don't get it
1: absolutely right it'll be on the web page okay well As i know nights. it's org. okay all right um but yes put it up on the website and this is all in my website too which is www.anncourtney.com.au great um, which has my women's retreats and oh, okay. the courage and your retreats. all right so that, that sounds
0: else. like the best place to go then yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. i have everything there
0: yeah don't we all <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh Play my all. god what have we become <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: somebody had told you 12 years ago that you would have had a website with you
1: well, it took me eleven years to get a website, <laughs> so I'm a little <laughs> bit behind you, Francis.
0: Uh, so we're sort of drawing towards the end. Um, I'm wondering is there uh, I'm wondering whether I've asked the right questions, really. So oh. is there something that um, you know you've you've been sparked with while we've been talking that you haven't actually had a chance to say?
1: That's a good question. Um, no, no, I can't think of it. I, I think just the one thing I haven't said probably much about is, um, you know, so much of the stuff I've been talking about, about creating Spaces And I mean this like in everyday life as well, how we come together and allow each other to be who we are without having to invade that space with our opinion Mm. and our judgment. A lot of, you know, sometimes I think a lot of what I do at a really minute level is about creating spaces that aren't violent. You know, and you just, you know, every week you just hear horrible things on the news, you know, just horrific things. And I do think that some of it is just this really basic thing that it's it's not so different from what a lot of us do in our lives, and I'm including me in this. You know, we can really be violent when we think that our way is the highway, that our truth is the truth. In simple little everyday, you know, family, friends, So, yeah, look, that's just becoming more and more apparent to me, just the importance of really listening to other people, listening to ourselves firstly, but listening to other people and allowing people to be different from us. You know, why do we think we have to, you know, that our way is the only way of seeing things, just not how the world works? That's my last little thing I wanted to say. It
0: sounds as though that's been a... Sort of a gradual understanding, and, mm. and or a relearning and learning mm. again. And mm. I mean, it's it's a it's a eternal vigilance, I suppose.
1: Look, it is, and because one of the things that frightens me a bit is, you know, you hear about terrorist attacks and you hear about gang rapes of women in India, and you know, I'm sure it's all yeah. over the world, and it seems so vile and so completely opposite and abhorrent, you know, so removed from us and yet the seeds of violence in my mind are always planted whenever we just think that we know better than someone else and that our way is the way and you know we just add a bit of force and and a bit of you know whatever to that and that's when you have horrible violence but it's all on a continuum as far as i can see And we're all guilty of it because maybe it's just a natural human thing, I don't know, but (laughs) I think that's something we all need to learn.
0: And and I think it's also, you know, the uh, allowing, you know, I think individually we can allow um, those sorts of uh, behaviours or experiences to happen and say nothing Mm. or, um, you know, everything Mm. from the small to the large, Mm. but, you know, um, by by saying nothing, we're saying something. Mm. And uh, mm. so, yeah, I think it is hard to be congruent or, or to, to say, oh, you know, it's all out there when I think mm. absolutely what you're saying is, is mm. you know, the seeds of that are in, mm. in each of us in our relationships, in mm. the way that we talk, in the way that we behave. Yeah. Uh the way that we allow for things to happen in Absolutely.
1: Us. And, you know, because most yeah. of the people I see come to me because of their workplace, yeah. their workplace paying for me to see them as a coach. You know, I hear a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stories about, you know, bad relationships yeah. and bad communication and bad ways of treating each other in organisations. But the same thing happens in families. But at the end of the day, it's people doing it. Yeah. And sometimes it's us doing it. Yeah. You know, we're creating it. So. Yeah. If there, I suppose, actually, just thinking about my purpose, there is something that I'm passionate about helping people understand that there is no need to have to do that. You know, you can actually live with diversity of opinion.
0: So there's a choice.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think we all have to learn it because it doesn't come easily for any of us, I don't think because we do really like the world to be the way we think it is. But, you know, I'm not sure that's working for us as, as, a, as a world. Well, your
0: world can be like that. my world we're
1: different. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Look, it's been um, – I've really
1: felt um,
0: – I was going to say that it's been a, a, a good experience, but it's actually been a really uh, – I've, I've – had a good experience to sit down with somebody who I've known for a long time and to just hear the conversation and to hear some of your views, and um, it's been a privilege. So thank you. Francis. Thank you, Anne.
1: Thank you. It was lovely to be interviewed by you. And you know what they say, questions are more important than answers. Uh, yeah, that's true. So there true. you go. Thank <laughs> you for the questions.
0: Thanks, Anne. Thanks for listening to the Living With Purpose interview series. There are show notes for each episode that you can get on the www.livingwithpurposeinterviews.com website. You can also connect with Francis on Twitter at underscore Francis Lynch, on LinkedIn, or on email at francislynch.me at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode as a podcast, then subscribe on your player
1: and tell your friends. Thanks and join us again soon.